Revelation chapter 21 says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall wipe away God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Man, oh man, I'm looking forward to that. We come to this picture here. These last two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, give us this description, this picture of heaven. You know, Christians, we talk about heaven. Uh, We believe that when we pass out of this world, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord that will be in heaven. But these are the two chapters. The Lord doesn't let this up to our imagination. He describes to us what our eternal home will be like. He gives us this incredible, incredible picture. Look, heaven is mentioned 582 times in the Bible. Heaven's plural is mentioned 133 times in the Bible. Over 700 times in the Bible, heaven is mentioned. Paul says to us, I had not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has entered in the, the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But, but by his spirit, he's made those things real to us. He tells us in Colossians that we should set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. There were Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Peter tells us in his first epistle that we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. And yet eternity in some ways is beyond our grasp, the the immensity of it, the, the duration of it. And yet we know that everybody is going to live eternally somewhere. Everybody in this room is going to live eternally, somewhere, either separated from the Lord or with the Lord. But everyone in this room will live eternally, somewhere. Chapter 20, verse 11, John said, And I saw one seat upon the throne, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away. There was found no place for them anymore. The great white throne judgment where all of the lost are judged and they spend eternity separated from God in outer darkness. Here in chapter 21, we begin to see a picture of our inheritance, of what awaits the believer. It's the crowning description of heaven in the Bible. And, you know, you see, Jesus, again, has saved the best wine to last, you know. Uh, Satan, you know, took him up and tempted him and showed him all the kingdoms of this world, all the glory of them. 
the Lord wasn't impressed. He saved this, and it's the last thing he puts before our eyes and our hearts. And so amazing. Look, in the world that we're living in, the media, social media, advertising, everything that's around us, it's worn, it's frayed, it, 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 it's mistrusted, it lacks truth and verity, and there's agenda all around us, and we're wondering, what do we do? What do we believe? What do we listen to? You know, I don't feel at home in this anymore. It's because you ain't. This is home. We're not going to be at home until we come here. This is the thing that the Lord wants us to set our hearts on. And many Christians, let alone the world, spend their whole lives accruing to themselves more and more, thinking, if I have this, if I have that, I'm going to have rest, I'm going to have security, I'm going to be satisfied. I think COVID is one of the greatest gifts that the Lord has ever given to the church because we have looked around now and we've taken inventory again and how many things just aren't important that were important before and we're realizing we still have the Holy Spirit. We still have heaven. We still have the Bible. We still have forgiveness. We still have Jesus Christ. All of the things that really matter and remain are still in place. It's just all of the other things that we were distracted with no longer have that glimmer and the glare, you know. They no longer glisten with the same glitter they did before. Here comes this picture of heaven. This is something the Lord wants before our hearts. He gives the description of it. He's telling John to write. These things are deliberately put in front of us here as we look look at them. And John begins by saying here, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Down in verse 2, he talks about new Jerusalem. In verse 5, he says, Behold, I make all things new. So this picture comes before us, a new heaven and a new earth. What is that talking about? And I'm amazed. There are a number of scholars, some that I read regularly, that are no doubt great students, but they think this is a renovation, that what God's doing is he's turning the earth into a fixer-upper and that he's going to straighten out the mess and that will be the new heavens and the new earth. Chapter 20, verse 11 says that the present heaven and earth fled away. There was no place found for them. It doesn't leave the option of renovation. We are told this in Isaiah. It says, for I create, the Lord says, Isaiah 65, 17. And that word create is bara. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It means to create something from nothing. Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered. Oh, that sounds like a break. Nor come to mind. The Lord says in chapter 66, For as the new heaven and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. He says in Isaiah 34, All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off the vine and a falling fig from the fig tree. He tells us this then in chapter 51. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, 
and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner, but my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Jesus would say to us, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. We're told in Second Peter that the, the heavens and the earth, the way they exist now, are going to be loosened. They're going to pass away. They're going to be gone. And it says, behold, you and I look for a new heavens and a new earth. They're going to be loosened. You know, we look at fission and fusion. We see what happens when atomic structure is split and the power in a nuclear detonation or an atomic bomb. But it takes more power to hold it together. It takes more power to hold it together. In the center of the atom is protons. You, you can't put protons together. You take two positive ends of a magnet, they push apart. What, why is there electrons that are negative spinning around protons that should be pushing apart and the whole thing doesn't fly apart? It tells us because Jesus Christ holds all things together. And it takes more power to hold it together. And it says in Second Peter, he's just going to let it loose one day. And the whole thing, all atomic structure, everything gone. It's just going to be gone with a great noise. The big bang's at the end, not at the beginning. Okay? <laughs> and it says then out of that nothing, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. We're going to get to hear our father, our Abba say, let there be light. Let the waters be separated. Let this happen. Let, you know, the earth bring forth. We're going to get to see it. We're going to get to be part of it. We're going to get to watch that. It says, a new heavens and a new earth. You know, for John, he's on Patmos. He's glad there's not going to be any more sea, no doubt. He's trapped there by the sea. He writes about a new Jerusalem here. Jerusalem's been in ashes for over 25 years by this point in time. But he tells us these things are going to be new, not renovated, impossible. Kainos, the Greek word for new, the new in form, when it's used that way, means recently made, fresh, unused, unworn. When it's used for new in substance, it means new kind, unprecedented, novel, unheard of. And it tells us here that this is new. Verse 5 says, I make all things new. You're not fixing up the old thing. By the way, when we just look at the measurements of the city that comes down, it's the size of the moon. The present earth could never handle it in its rotation. So this is a new heavens, a new earth. Sorry, you surfers, no more sea. This picture's put in front of us. The hydrologic system no longer necessary. We need the sea now, 74% of the Earth's surface covered by water. We need the algae to put oxygen in the air. You know, our body is uh, our 90% water. We need that. You know, horses, there are going to be horses in heaven that don't need water. There are going to be trees there that don't need water. It's a new system. In fact, Jesus... In Luke 24, said to Thomas, feel me, doth the spirit have flesh and bone? He didn't say flesh and blood. His blood was drained out. Different system, does the spirit have flesh and bone? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, it says, our bodies shall be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Flesh and bone, not flesh and blood. 
1 Corinthians 15 verse 50 says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Evidently flesh and bone can, but flesh and blood can't. So this earth where there's 1.5 trillion tons of rain that fall every day, 330 million cubical miles of ocean on the planet. The planet today dependent upon that hydraulic system. This is a whole new... It doesn't think it's going to be dry. It's going to be a desert. It's going to be a bummer. There's a river that flows from the center of the city. You know, the, the, but the system we know now is going to pass away. New heavens, because the heavens are polluted. Not the third heaven where God dwells, but the first heaven, the atmospheric heavens, the stellar heavens, polluted by principalities and power, by sin. The earth polluted by Adam, humankind, sin. The sea, which the Greeks and the Romans feared because it was always churning, which gives us a picture of the nations like the raging sea, polluted by sin, all of the bodies from the flood and Noah in the sea. It says there's going to be a new heavens, a new earth. There's going to be no more sea. In fact, in the end of verse 1, it says there is no more sea. John is writing presently at what he's looking at. Not a renovation. He's seeing something completely new. There is no more sea. And then he says this in verse 2. He says, and I, John, saw. Now, if you go through the last chapter, chapter 19, verse 17, I saw, verse 11, I saw, verse 19, I saw, uh, chapter 20, verse 1, I saw, verse 4, I saw, um, verse 11, I saw, verse 12, I saw. Now, in verse 1, it says, I saw, and each time it's oida, I perceived, I understood, new heavens and a new earth. But when he comes to verse 2 and he sees Jerusalem, the real Jerusalem, he does something else. He says, and I, John, saw. It's the first time he uses his name since chapter 1, verse 9, where he saw Christ in his glory. Me, John, the old salty fisherman. Now here he is in his 90s. And he sees this holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. And he doesn't just say, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. He says, I, John, I saw it. He had said to Peter, what if, you know, what if, what is it to you if he tarries till I come? These are things that he's putting in front of me. He's letting me see, I saw it. John, me. He wants the church to know he's the last living eyewitness. He's the last pen, quill that goes to the page completing the New Testament. He says, I, John, saw this new heavens and this new earth. Separate. It's just different because, look, the first creation in Genesis, God made the heavens and the earth. It says here in Revelation, God makes a new heaven and a new earth. It says in Genesis, God made the sun. He set it in place to, to light up the day, to govern the day. It says in Revelation 22, no more sun. It says in Genesis chapter 1, the night was established. The moon, the stars, the lesser lights and so forth. It says here, there is no more night. It says there, the seas were separated from the land. It says here in Revelation chapter 21, no more sea. It tells us in Genesis chapter 3, he, God put a curse on mankind. It tells us here in chapter 22, no more curse. It tells us in Genesis that death enters into the picture. It tells us here, and we just read it, no more death. How wonderful. 
It tells us in Genesis, man was driven out. It tells us here, man is taken back in. It tells us in Genesis, man is not allowed to partake of the tree of life. It promises us here that we are able to take of the tree of life. This is a new heavens and a new earth is completely distinct and separate. And that's what we're headed for. Remember when you watch the news, that's what we're headed for. Remember when you think about everything going on around us, this is what we're headed for. Remember when you think you need to to get satisfaction and security and happiness somewhere else, that you were made for this. And God loves you. He's not going to let you have it anywhere else. This is where our hearts will be fulfilled. This is what we're headed for. This is what he has placed in front of us. So remarkably, I, John, overwhelmed the the, the, the ninth time. This is what I saw. And he says, I saw the holy city. Now, isn't that an interesting words to put together? Holy city. It's like holy cow. You know, holy city. Imagine where this is the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It doesn't seem to be a holy city, does it? I don't know if we've seen one down here. He said, I saw the holy city. The definite article. The one. The holy city. New Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 4 verse 26 says, The Jerusalem which is above is the mother of us all. It tells us that Abraham, in Hebrews 11 verse 10, looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. We're told about this city in Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 13. Remarkable that there is this holy City, the New Jerusalem, and he said, I saw it in the process of coming down. Now it uses two words from Apo, God, from God, out of Ek, out of heaven. So its source, Apo, it's coming from God. The sphere, Ek, it's coming out of heaven. And he said, I saw this city, this New Jerusalem, when I saw it. Now, you're, now, as we move ahead, if the Lord tarries, you know, the city's 1,500 miles on the side, 1,500 miles high. This is really something. It fills your eye. And he said, I, John, I saw it, this new Jerusalem, this holy city coming down. It was coming from God. He was the source of it. It was coming out of heaven. That was the sphere it was in with him. And he said, and that, it came down. He said it was like a bride adorned for her husband. Imagine that. He doesn't just say that the city is incredibly functional. It is, in every way. Every light, every color, every smell, every sound. It's, it's incredible. It is the perfect functioning city. It's a holy city for you and I. But he doesn't just say that. It's incredibly functional. Gentlemen, you hear that are married. None of you would tell me, you know, my wife is incredibly functional. <laughs> that can be a compliment, but nobody's going to say that, you know. It just says, not, she's not just incredibly functional. She's indescribably beautiful. This city. Indescribably Beautiful. 
The Lord does that for us. He paid for that in his blood. There isn't any of us that could ever earn it or deserve it or be worthy of it. There isn't anybody here this morning, including me, all of us, that deserves to go to this place. This place was purchased at the cost of God's own broken heart, so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The price of this is unimaginable, but because that price is unimaginable and immeasurable, then the city itself is unimaginable and immeasurable. It isn't just incredibly functional. The genius of it will overwhelm us forever, but it is indescribably beautiful. It's like, you know, a bride adorned for us. I was so thankful it says that because, you know, the Lord says, I hate divorce. He, he wants a covenant between a man and a wife. So that's really good for us because it means we ain't getting kicked out once we get there. He hates divorce. This is a, like a bride adorned for her husband. The word adorned there is where we get cosmetics. Now, you know, on a wedding day, the bride takes some time with some cosmetics. Mom, does it look right? Mom, what is this? Is it my hair? Mom, just, you know, get, give me the Revlon. What about this? Yeah, how's this looking? You know, just, you know, this city comes down like that, like a bride adorned for her husband. Incredible. And it tells us this city is prepared that way. There's, there's another energy working. There's someone else in the process. And it says the Lord himself is preparing. Prepared in the Greek language qualifies the city. Adorned qualifies the bride. The bride is adorned. The city is prepared. The city is prepared. We're told in John, and, I, and you wonder, you know, they argued, did John write the gospel last or did he write Revelation last? You know, and, and there's argument on both sides. But you think the same man, the, the Lord moves on his heart, and he records, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. And lo, I go to prepare a place for you. And if that wasn't true, I'd let you know. I'd never let you have a false hope about this. This is a place that says here, prepared. Same word. I go to prepare a place for you. It tells us in Hebrews 11, again, it says there, but now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Hebrews chapter 11. There's a city that's been prepared. In 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 2, verse 9, it's, it's not entered in the heart, the mind of man, the things that God has prepared, same word, for those who love him. So there's a preparation in this. There's a preparation, and it's hard for us to comprehend on our side. There's divine heart. There's not just intellect. There's something visceral from the Lord involved in this, that he's prepared this for his bride. This, and this, the church is part of the city, this whole picture that he spends eternity with. 
and that this city's coming down. New heavens, new earth. No fixer up here here for his bride. This new city coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And in verse 3, he says this, And I heard a great voice out of heaven. Now, by the way, that's the last great voice in the book of Revelation. It doesn't tell us it's God. Verse 5, we know God is speaking. It may be. But he says, I heard a great voice out of heaven. Twenty-one times in the book of Revelation, there's a great voice. This is the last one. And so fitting in so many ways. He says this, I heard, now all of the I saws, now he says, I heard a great voice, Meglos, this loud voice out of heaven, saying, behold. you got to think about this. Behold, present imperative. You need to think about this forever. You need to get this on your mind, and you need to keep it there. I'm telling you. You go home, you turn on the news, you go to work, you got people pushing you around, telling you what to do. You got all of these things going on around us. Who are the power brokers? Who's telling us to do this? What's the deal with the, the, you know, the pandemic? What's going on with the UN? What's going on with nuclear proliferation or nuclear treaties? What's going on all around us? He says, you got to think about this. This is our home. Here, this is the news. This is the news. And he says, you have to think about this. Behold. And then what he tells us is, and there's like five ands here that sew it together. He says, the tabernacle of God, and then with, 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 over again. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them and they shall be his peoples plural this is all nation not just israel not just people all this is heaven there's no difference we're all his people when we get there and god himself there's an emphasis there god himself he's going to do this. he's going to be with them and he will be their God. So it says, look, all of the beauty, all of the things that we think about, all of this coming before us, yet God says the, the most significant thing in this city is the communion. The rest of it is just wrapping. The content that's important is what was lost when Adam sinned, and there will be communion again between me and my people, but no sin, nothing to ruin that. Nothing to take it away. I will be with them. I will tabernacle, tabernacle of God. I'll dwell with them. I wonder if John, again, had he already written the gospel where he says in chapter 1, verse 14, that and the word of God dwelt, tented, tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He says there that, that the Lord put on skine, skin, a tent, a tabernacle, and he dwelt among us. Here it says the tabernacle of God, that's Christ. The tabernacle of God will be with them, and I will dwell with them. You just think, you know, when, when Christ comes in the incarnation from eternity, does he sacrifice or relinquish any dimensionality to put on human skin which he then takes to heaven and he never puts off again. 
Does he sacrifice anything of dimensionality to be in human skin forever? I don't believe that he feels he does because it is that that gives him the ability to dwell among us. He walks among us. He will be with us. We will see him. His hand will wipe tears from our eyes. He will, you know, God says, this is the thing. You know, behold, yeah, the city's great. Yeah, all that. But the significant thing in the center is I will be with them. Sin won't be ruining anything anymore. None of your compromise or my compromise. None of the things that we shouldn't think or be attracted to. You know, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. My, my strength, my Lord, my How often do I ruin that? No, there's none of that here. He's going to be with them. It says over and over, he's going to be with us. Behold, you need to think about that. He will be with men. Tabernacle of God will be with men. He will dwell with them, it says. And they shall be his peoples, his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And then it begins to tell us here in verse 4, remarkably, some of the characteristics of heaven. Now, one of the amazing things here is it tells us in the negative. It's going to describe heaven in the first place in the negative because we understand that. This is something we comprehend. No more of this. No more of that. No more of this. No more of that. We can understand that. When he de- describes heaven in the positive, and we'll journey into that in the weeks to come, it's incomprehensible. It's, it's in the ages to come we're still going to be learning of his grace. So when he begins his description, he uses the negative because that makes it comprehensible for us. And remarkably, this God who is talking about is going to be with us. It says, and God shall wipe away all tears. The Greek says this, God shall wipe away once and for all each, singular, each tear. What does that mean? Is every one of us going to feel the hand of God on our face? You expect me to say no? I ain't going to say that. The end of the book says you mess with any of the words, you're in trouble. It it says he is going to wipe away personally, once and for all, each tear, singular, from plural, their faces. Each tear. There isn't a tear that anyone in this room has ever cried that he hasn't taken note of. I don't care if you're sitting alone somewhere, you're thinking about suicide, someone you love that just died, you're completely broken, nobody understands, you're lonelier than anybody in this world knows. It says if the tear rolls down your face, Psalm 56 says it's recorded. He sees it. He records it. And one of the first things it tells us about him being with us when we come to heaven, it says, this God that will be with us will wipe away each tear from our eyes. How many of us have lost children? How many have been betrayed? How many have been sexually abused? How many have lost kids to fentanyl or heroin? 
first thing he says is, I'm going to wipe away, I'm going to wipe away each and every tear from your eyes. And wonderfully then, he says, there shall be no more death. Because the wages of sin is death. And there's no more death there. So there's no sin there. So we don't have to worry about blowing it. Because, you know, how we are, we think, oh, I'm going to get into heaven. Then the first thing I think, or I'm going to get mad in traffic, and they're going to throw me out. No, that's not going to happen. The wages of sin is death. There's no sin there. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? No, not, that's not there. No more death. If you can imagine that. You turn on the news. You look at the world we're in. When he finally has everything 1 Corinthians 15, back under his jurisdiction, every single thing, he wipes tears away. No more death. This is the way he wants it. This is the way he wants it. No more death. Look, neither sorrow, everyone in this room is familiar with that. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It isn't like he doesn't know or understand. No more crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Sadly, I see so many people in, in the church going through different things physically, emotionally, mentally. No more pain. And he says the reason for that is that the former things are passed away. That's how you know it's a new heavens and a new earth. None of these things have place there anymore. They did during the millennium. But they don't in this picture. The new heavens <coughs> and the new earth. And I think, Lord, a more death or sorrow, crying, no more pain. Because, look, we live in a world that is crying out against him. Oh, yeah, if God's there and, you know, and he loves and he's in control, of everything, I don't want nothing to do with him. Look what's going on in the world. Look at this. Look at disease. Look what's happening here. And people, then there's a whole crew, they just want to point fingers at him and blame everything on him. It's because of the moral people. It's because of the religious people. It's because of, you know, and, and all of this. Nobody wants to look around and say, no, this world is deadly. It's full of death. It's full of sorrow. It's full of pain. It's full of disease. It's full of immorality. It's filled with all kinds of things that are fatal that if human beings don't escape, they will spend eternity somewhere, either separated from God or washed in the blood of Jesus Christ with him, not deserving it, not earning it, not being worthy of it, but partaking of it freely through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he gets us there, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. He wipes away each and every tear. I want to challenge you. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing in this world? What are you doing when you watch the news? World Health Organization, they're going to straighten things out? CDC, Washington, Moscow, they're going to straighten things out? We're going to negotiate uh, nuclear arms so we don't have to worry about terrorism? Uh, economy's going to improve, we're all going to be rich, right? Where is your hope? What are, you, what are you looking at in this world? What This book says, take hold of this. Take hold of this. And if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you need to change that because you will spend eternity somewhere, either in his presence, in joy, 
and in glory and in peace, or separated from him in outer darkness, weeping and gnashing teeth forever. Those are the two choices. He made it as simple as he possibly can. So as we have the musicians come, we sing the last song. I'm going to challenge those of you who are here that may not know Christ. Look, because of the world being so crazy, there's all kinds of people coming to church. Because other churches are closed. We have people coming here from other churches. None of that matters. You need to be saved. Calvary Chapel's not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. And you need to make him your Lord and Savior. And you can do that today. All of what we're looking at can be what's ahead of you and awaiting you. So as we sing the last song, I'll give you an opportunity, if you're here today and you're not a believer, to come forward, to get out of your seat, walk down the aisle, stand here. If a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go with you. And make today the day you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Make today the day you say, Lord, make my reservation for my inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. Lord. You can make your reservation today. You can't afford it. That's why he paid for it. I want to challenge those of you that are believers. The world we live in is going to hell. And if we live out the same value system they have, more money, more material things. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. Don't get me wrong. But my pastor, Chuck, used to say, Joe, whatever you give the most of your time, your resources, your attention, your affection to, is your God. Take inventory. Whatever you give the most of your attention, your affection, your resources to, is your God. You and I have this ahead of us. New heavens, a new earth, the holy city. Imagine. Imagine. My challenge to you would be, look, and, 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 and again, COVID's been such a gift to, to, to kind of, it's like getting realignment for your tires in the spring, you know. We've been realigned. We're realizing, oh, yeah, yeah. This is what's important. This is what I need. This is all falling apart. This is, you can't depend on this. It's unraveling. You know, it's threadbare. All the edges are frayed. Lord, thank you for reminding. You know, we need to fix our attention on things that are above and our affections, right? So this is a great time for you and I to take inventory. When are we ever going to accrue anything to ourselves that compares with this? And the truth is we're all homesick. You try to fill that spot with stuff down here, it never works. Because we were made for this. We were made for this. And there's a long process taking us from a garden to a city. But he's never given up. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Again, I encourage you as believers, take inventory as we worship. I encourage those of you that are here, look. We're not playing church. You don't want to play church. You can't trust Calvary Chapel. You can trust Jesus Christ. Because you're going to spend eternity somewhere. You're an eternal being. You sleep at night and you have a dream. And in your dream, you're hearing noise when there's no noise in your room. In your dream, you're feeling fear when there's nothing to be afraid of. 
You're seeing things when your eyes are closed. You experience things spiritually. You're running from a monster. Of course, you can't run any faster than this when he's chasing you. But then you wake up, you're sweating, your heart is pounding. Imagine doing that for eternity. You will spend eternity somewhere. Jesus loves you. The Lord loves you. You're here. How could you be here? Why, why in the world would you be here unless God loved you? And if you've never come to him, today needs to be that day. Don't leave here without making your commitment to Jesus Christ. Please, please, listen to your hearts. You'll know. If he's speaking to you, I encourage you to get out of your seat, walk down, stand here. We want to pray with you. We want to give you a Bible. We want to give you some literature to read. We don't want anything from you. We don't want your address or your email or your phone number or nothing. We want everything for you. We don't want anything from you. Let's bow our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I know you've overheard. And these things you place before us, Lord, are incredible, Lord. Our eye hasn't seen, our ear hasn't heard. It's not entered in the heart, but by your spirit, you're able to make these things real to us. And we're so thankful, Lord. Lord, we ask as your sons and daughters, you forgive us, Lord. We get so distracted. We, we place our time and our energy in so many things that are passing, that are transient, that are material, that are never going to last. Forgive us for that, Lord. We know we're really homesick, Lord. Let us set our hearts on home, Lord. And we do pray for those among us, Lord, that may not know you, that have never come, Lord Jesus. Um, you add to the church daily such as should be saved. This is your work, Lord. That We open the door, we present the opportunity, Lord, but only by your spirit can people be drawn. So we trust you to do that work, Lord. We lift our hearts now in song, our lives afresh. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.